I, I have an advantage because I have known Tom for a while because he grew up in Guildford and uh, you know one or two, in fact you know one or two people here as well as elsewhere in Guildford. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Guildford, lived here the first sort of 19 years of my life, went to school here and when I was about 16 I started coming to St. Saviour's and met your sons, Guy and Will, and yeah. ended up meeting you through some of that. Yeah, I'm sorry about that bit. Um, uh, I remember Tom as uh, a relatively shy young man uh, who indeed often came home with our sons, Will and Guy, uh, and Johnny and Tom Selin as well. And uh, he would be a regular piece of adornment on our sofa uh, as they were watching films together. I, goodness knows how many films you ended up watching. but it was, One or two. It was a lot, wasn't it? Um, But the last time I remember seeing Tom was six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, something like that. Uh, And he was on the main stage at the Royal Albert Hall, speaking at the HTB annual conference to, uh, I think it's about 4,000 in Albert Hall. And uh, then they were in HTB uh, Brompton Road, Onslow Square. They were down in Brighton. Uh, So quite a few thousand people. So... You went to university. Why the change? Where did that occur? I think from various like pieces of input I had and leadership training that I got, I kind of grew in confidence and ended up founding a charity called Just Love, which yep. exists to inspire and release every Christian student to pursue the biblical call to social justice. But there must have been a point at university or in that first sort of year yeah. that changed your thinking. Yeah, so I think my, my first year was kind of normal in many ways and trying to get to grips with my degree and playing football and going to church and things. But then in the summer at the end of that year, I went to Durban in South Africa um, and was working with some children who lived on the streets there. And just through getting to know them and we'd have a laugh together and play together and things. And then you'd hear about some of the things that they were going through. And the police at that stage were often, they would go around the, the streets, they'd beat the kids, they'd throw them in the back of vans and drive them out the city to to clean up the streets for tourists and there were gangs and drugs and prostitution and all sorts of other awful things that they were going through. And I just remember being so emotionally impacted by that and I think one day in particular when we were out looking for this girl who'd gone, gone, gone missing and we found dozens of people living, sleeping rough by the side of this old railway in a, in a dodgy part of town and I was chatting to this guy there and he was saying that there was this new drug called Wunga, which was so addictive and so destructive that when he woke up in the morning, all he could think about was the drug. He didn't wash his face, he didn't eat. This had kind of consumed him, and he was begging us, can you take my girlfriend away because she's not as far in yet, and she might still be able to live, even though he didn't feel like he had long left. We were having this awful conversation, and this really kind of cool, sleek BMW with tinted windows kind of crawled up alongside us, and we thought, you don't really see a car like that in a... Mm part of town like this and he said oh no it's they sell us the wunga and I just remember being so angry that these people were suffering and dying so that these people could have money for a nice car and I think just came back to university feeling like something's got to be done because it's not just these kids that I've met it's a billion people who live on less than a pound a day it's 36 million victims of modern day slavery it's hundreds of people who are sleeping rough on the streets of Oxford where I was from and God said that each one of these people is made in his image and has their own story and their own dreams and that true worship is to loose the chains of injustice and justice and righteousness are the foundations of his throne and whatever we do for the least of our brothers and sisters, we do for him. So I kind of arrived back in second year being like, oh, I've got to do something. 
And that's why he was on the main stage at the Albert Hall. So, you went back to university with this sort of burning inside you that God Mm. had had put there. What did you do then? Yeah, I kind of expected that I'd come back and find loads of other people who had the same thing. But heard about a few different things were going on. Someone was running to do a homeless outreach. I thought, great, there'll be loads of us there. There was only two of us there. Um, My church was wanting to do an anti-slavery day thing on the main high street in Oxford. There were no other students there. And I kind of thought, well, there's hundreds of Christians I know at my my church and at the CU. There's hundreds of us. Why are none of us doing social justice? And I kind of met a handful of others who shared the same passion. And we kind of thought, well, we could go off and find somewhere to volunteer on our own. But wouldn't it be so much better if every Christian student shared this God-given passion for justice and wanted to do something about it? And imagine if what sort of a statement it would make to our campus if every Christian student was known for their radical and sacrificial love for people on the margins and what sort of a difference could we start to make to our city if hundreds of us were out volunteering and fundraising and campaigning and praying about this stuff and then actually dreaming beyond Oxford, what sort of a difference could we make if a generation of thousands of students across the country could graduate having been equipped to lead and envisioned to pursue Jesus and justice wherever they went, consuming ethically, giving generously and transforming the places in which they worked yeah. to, to make a better world. And that, so you set it up, what's it, four years ago? Yeah, that was about four years four ago. Four years ago. So what, yeah. what's happened in those four years? Can you quickly tell us that? Yeah, so we like set up a little society in Oxford and we had a few projects and get homelessness and trafficking and day-to-day lifestyle and trying to get more and more people involved. But then we had people from other universities wanting to do it. So we've now got Just Love groups in 13 cities that students run. And they've run between them in the last few years uh, more than 1,500 events, an aggregate attendance of more than 20,000 students. They've given about 14,000 volunteer hours in local communities and raised over £40,000 for other charities. And I think the best thing is seeing so many people who arrive at university not really sure whether that's something they're interested in and then graduating and going, I'm going to go and serve abroad, I'm going to go into politics, I'm going to go and do all these sorts of different exciting things. And you've got some great stats, I don't know, are you going to raise your stats later about when you impact someone at that age, what they're going to do during their lifetime? Yeah, I'll bring a bit of that up. I'll I'll (laughs) leave the powder dry on that one then. Mm. That's good. Tom, um, thank you. Mm. Thank you for being here. Uh, And I'm absolutely convinced we're going to leave here inspired today. Let's sit and have our reading. This morning's reading is taken from uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Giving to the needy. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for bringing Tom to us this morning. We thank you that you have touched his life and transformed him as an individual. And we pray that through him... Your love may be made known this morning. Uh, Give him the words that he needs now to touch our hearts and enable us to understand your love for him, for us and for others. In your name. Amen. Thanks David and thank you for having me here. 
I, I don't usually have one of these um, mics, so it's, it's, I've often had a handheld one before, but yeah. my hands when I speak can often get quite excitable. In fact, I was, I was thinking about what I was going to say walking to the train station earlier in the week, and I found my mouth wasn't moving, so I was just walking along, but my hands had started getting some funny looks, so if they get out of control, just let me I'll know. I'll let you know. Yeah, I'll do my best. I am... Um, when David said I was, uh, they'd love me to come and speak and they wanted to talk about social justice, I was kind of half hoping for one of the, the big kind of rallying social justice passages, maybe Luke 4, where Jesus announces his ministry and says, the spirit of the Lord's upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, or something in Isaiah where God tells the Israelites that true worship is loosing the chains of injustice, sharing your food with the hungry, one of these big kind of go out and change the world passages. But instead it's a kind of secretive, uh, don't let people know what you're doing, give in secret, passage and I thought, ooh, that's a bit of a different um, message to what I usually go for. And actually I was thinking about some of the passages around it and Jesus has just said before that that you're the light of the world so don't put the light under the bowl but put your lamp on a stand so it shines before everyone. And I was thinking about other acts of generosity in the New Testament and perhaps the banquet in Luke 14 I think where Jesus says actually if you're throwing a dinner party go out onto the streets find the blind and the poor and the lame and the crippled and invite them in and it's kind of this big show of generosity and everyone's involved and it's very public Um, and in fact one of the most beautiful acts of generosity that I've seen was when I was out in South Africa and we took a bunch of these kids who were living on the streets to a, a youth group thing at a local church and there were all sorts of things going on there and at one stage they were doing this dancing competition and one of the kids that we brought won called Sviso um, and he won this huge slab of chocolate and for him he's usually if he gets a couple of small meals a day he's doing well and so I thought oh he's got this treat that he'd never usually have if I were him I'd probably go and sit in the corner and savour every last bite but he was so excited to have something to share that he started running around breaking off squares giving them out to everyone else and this was a very public display of generosity but still a very beautiful one So I was looking back at this passage and working out, well, I'm not sure that every generous thing we ever do, every piece of giving we ever do, needs to be in secret. Um, So why is God, why is Jesus saying it here? Maybe it's not telling us how we should give in every case, but it's telling us why we should give, or more specifically, why we shouldn't give, and that we shouldn't give out of self-promotion and self-glorification and sometimes when we do something nice and generous and people are like you're so generous you're so wonderful we love that that's great to hear but actually it's it's building us up and we're kind of doing it for ourselves rather than the people that we're giving to so I think what this passage is kind of telling us is actually we don't give for ourselves but we give for some other reason and what is that and I was thinking about all the other passages on giving and money through the Bible and there's thousands of them and sometimes we can look at them particularly coming from a kind of well-off Western country and be a bit uncomfortable because it says, woe to you who are rich and uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter heaven and the rich young ruler is told to go and sell all he has and give to the poor and the Acts early church share everything amongst each other and in fact I was reading about some writings about the early church and families who barely had enough food to live on would apparently fast for two or three days just so they could give their food away to people who had even less. And so sometimes we can look at giving in the Bible and feel like it's a kind of nasty, kind of miserly, you can't have anything and you can't enjoy anything and you need to go and live in a cave and eat locusts like John the Baptist and (laughs) we can't enjoy the things that we have and maybe we have to give out of this difficult moral obligation. But then actually there's loads of other passages that says that giving is joyful and cheerful and beautiful and and yes, it's a little bit painful and excessive sometimes because God God wants us to give a lot, but um, actually he also wants us to do it with joy and excitement. Um, and so, well, why does he want that? 
and I thought, well, if we want to understand why we give to the needy, we need to understand the wider picture of social justice and God's call to the poor through the whole Bible, because that's what's going to motivate us to want to go out and, and give, um, and, and possibly secretly or otherwise, um, depending on our motives. So I thought we'd look at social justice through the Bible, and it's something where, again, there's thousands of passages on it. But before we work out why God God wants us to do social justice, I thought we'd define what social justice is. And it's quite a politically contested term, so I'm going to go for a more theological definition. And we're going to look at a couple of Hebrew words, uh, which is always a crowd pleaser. I can see your faces lighting up at that. Um, The first one is mishpat, which is often translated as justice in the Old Testament. And that's a kind of rectifying justice, where it rights things that have gone wrong. It balances the scales. If some people have too much and others not enough, we even it out. If someone's done something wrong, they need to be punished. It's about making things right that have gone wrong. But there's another word for justice in the Old Testament called tzedek. And we usually translate this as righteousness. And we often think about it as me and my relationship with God and being kind of moral and, and pure and true and having a right relationship with God. But actually what it means in the Old Testament Hebrew is it's about right relationships with God, but also about right relationships with other people around us and with creation. So it's a very relational word, and it can be translated as righteousness or justice, because it kind of means both of those things, that we want to be in right relationship with God and other people. And this is a kind of primary justice, where if we do this right, we don't need the mishpat justice, which balances things up again, because if everyone's in right relationship with each other, you don't, everything's right to begin with. Um, and then there's another word called, called hesed, which is about a kind of unconditional love and grace and extravagant compassion. And if we kind of combine all these three, we come up with an idea of social justice that is we're trying to move towards right relationships by, by putting right things that have gone wrong before, and we're doing it all with an unconditional grace and compassion. And that's the kind of social justice that the Bible talks about, and that's the thing that persuades us to give to the needy and to give to the poor. And I'm going to give three quick reasons why God kind of champions social justice so much in the Bible, and that's about... Uh, reflecting his character, responding to the cross, and restoring his creation. Um, so the first one is reflecting God's character. Now we might think God is a just God, justice is the foundation of his throne. When we see the person of Jesus, he's always doing these kind of things where he goes and hangs out with, with the lepers and the marginalized and the people who no one else talks to. He seems to be a very just character. Um, I was thinking about character, and character is the very essence of who we are. And I was thinking, well, what's, what's the very essence of who God is? And I thought about uh, the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how they've existed in right, good relationships for all of eternity. And then thinking back to our definition of justice was about right, good, right relationships. So the very essence of God is about relationships being right, and the very essence of justice is about relationships being made right. So when we pursue justice and try and make a society where relationships between rich and poor and between everyone is right, that's so fundamental to who God is. That's absolutely reflecting who God is. So to pursue justice is to pursue the real heart of God's character. So as Christians, that's something that it's so important for us to do. Um, And secondly, as well as reflecting God's character, it's a response to the cross. So I think we can sometimes think, well, maybe social justice isn't my thing or the thing that I'm called to, or um, maybe people are in need because they've done something wrong, or maybe they'll mess up again if I help them. But the cross kind of takes away that excuse altogether because all of us were the poor in spirit, and we kind of moved against God and we were, we've all been selfish and greedy and thought bad things about other people and said horrible things about other people and we've all done things wrong. But despite all the things that we've done wrong that have taken us away from God, God said, 
that doesn't matter. I'm going to sacrifice everything for you anyway. And Jesus, who lived a completely blameless life, took all the punishment for all the things we did wrong and clothed us in all the righteousness that only he had earned. So when we've received all of that blessing and God's poured out so much for us, even though we didn't deserve it, we can't look at someone who's materially poor and go, oh, well, I can't be bothered to do anything for them. Because we've received so much love and compassion, we should want to go and give that out and share that with other people. Um, So actually, if we're responding to all that's been done for us on the cross, we're going to go and, and give extravagantly and show love and compassion to other people as well. So it reflects God's character, it responds to the cross, And finally, it restores creation. Um, And this, often, one of my colleagues who's done more theology training, he does an hour and a half long session on this with all the student leaders we have. I'm going to try and condense it in a couple of minutes with less theological training, but we'll see how we go. So, often the kind of picture of God's whole mission and the whole gospel that we have can go something like this. It can be, we people are over here in the world, and God is over here in heaven, and we're separated from God by sin, And then the cross comes down in the middle. And if we trust God, that cross has made a bridge between us and God. And if we believe in him, we can go and our relationship with him can be restored. And eventually, we can go off to heaven. And we maybe think of souls floating off to heaven or something like that as we escape from the earth that crumbles behind us. But that seems difficult in light of a lot of the passages in the Bible. Because Jesus always talks about the kingdom of God being at hand and the the kingdom being near. And that we should pray for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, not just escape from earth. Jesus talks about the kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And Colossians 1 talks about reconciling all things on earth and restoring them under Jesus as ruler. And Corinthians talks about bodies being resurrected at the end of time, not going off somewhere else. And Revelation talks about new creation. And the the word for new creation that's used in the Bible, going to Greek as well, kainos, it more means renewed than new. So it's about renewing this creation that we've got and about heaven coming to earth rather than us escaping from earth to go to heaven. So there's this new picture we can draw where if we go back to the Garden of Eden, humans are in, they've got a good relationship with God. Let's pretend there's a picture. I'm here in the middle. God's there. Good relationship there. Good relationship with other people to the side. It's a bit like an air hostess. Good relationship with creation there at the bottom. And then in the fall, all these relationships are broken. But then the cross comes down and it can fix all of these relationships. Yes, it can restore people to God and we want people to be restored in their relationship with God. But also restores relationship between people and with the world as God eventually comes to renew everything if that makes sense. So God's mission is not just about saving souls, but it's about restoring all things, of which reconciling to people to God is an important part, but social justice is also a really important part. So where does that leave us now? Because it's God who eventually does all of that stuff. What should we do in the meantime? Well, the Corinthians passage that talks about new creation and and all of that stuff, it says, you should give yourself now fully to the work of the Lord because your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's saying that the things that you do now are important because they're going in the direction of what God ultimately wants to achieve. That he'll use the good things that we do now, the restorative work, the social justice work that we do now is really important because it points to what God will ultimately do and it will be ultimately used by God in what he does. So a kind of holistic Christian mission looks like We want people to know about God, but we also want people to know the love of God and be restored in relationship to each other. We want the earth to to look more like the ultimate renewed creation that God will bring, where there's perfect peace and justice and every tear is wiped away and there's no more pain and suffering. We want to try and bring some of that now and point people towards that kingdom of God and what that looks like now. 
So that's the picture of social justice in the Bible, and that's why we, we want to give, because we're motivated to do so, because it reflects God's character, it responds to the cross, and it's part of that restoring of all things that he will ultimately do. Um, so that's the kind of mentality that we want the students we work with to come away with, that social justice is a really important part of their faith and a really important part of God's mission. And we kind of want them to go and do all sorts of things with that. So I thought... I'd share a couple of stories of what students have gone and done. In each of the 13 cities we have, um, groups will have a project that looks at local transformation, so they'll be looking at the local community. Are there homeless people that we can get to know and spend time with? Are there um, young people who are going through something difficult who we can work with? All sorts of different local issues. They'll look at global issues. What are the big issues of our time? Monday slavery, climate change, poverty. How can we campaign and fundraise and raise awareness and do something that impacts them? And they'll have something that looks at personal transformation. How can I become a more just person? What do my day-to-day decisions show about social justice and about God? How can I buy something that's been produced really ethically and where people have been paid fairly? How can I pray about justice? What can I give towards? Um, How can I learn how to be a more just person? So that's kind of what each Just Love group looks like, but they all kind of engage with different issues because we want the students to run these groups themselves and to own them and to develop as leaders and to give their own vision and their own passions into those groups. And that means you get all sorts of different projects happening. And as I said, there's been thousands of different events, so I probably won't go through them all with you now or we'd be here a while, but I'll just share about a couple of things that have happened um, that really impacted me. And one of them was in Bath, where The Just Love Bar students were doing an event called Stand for Freedom, which we do with one of our partner charities, International Justice Mission. And they're a charity that kind of works against human trafficking and modern-day slavery. And what the Just Love students in Bath had done, they they kind of took over a a place in the town centre, and they had stalls and stuff out, and the students were there flyering. And they did a 24-hour-long event in that city centre to raise awareness amongst the people of Bath of modern-day slavery and human trafficking and some of the things that they could do, whether it was signing a petition to change a law about it or whether they changed some of the places they bought things from so that slavery was no longer in supply chains. And while they were doing this event, a couple of the girls in that group, Rachel and Beth, had gone off to get some food. And while they were walking off, they met this homeless man called Alex on the streets of Bath. And they started chatting to him and said hi to him and eventually bought him a meal and sat down with him. And it turned out they had a really difficult conversation because he said, I've got a knife in my bag and I'm going to go and end my life this evening. Um, And they didn't really know what to do, but they kept chatting to him and they said, well, why don't you come and just hang out with us for a couple of hours? Because we're going to do some praying and worshipping in the town square in the city centre. And he said that he kind of had a faith one day before he ended up on the streets 10 or so years ago and said he'd come and join them for a bit. And actually, the compassion and love that they showed him and the compassion and love that the other students in that group showed him, he ended up staying for hours and just kind of completely changing and being like, actually, I I feel hope again and this worship and prayer has been really exciting and I'm kind of up for trying again and I'm going to go and find a hostel. And we took him to the bus station and and sent him off to Bristol where he was going to find a hostel there that he thought would be a bit better for him and he was kind of reinvigorated to try again. And so the students kind of literally on that evening saved a life. And I thought that was just amazing. That wasn't even what they set out to do. They were raising awareness of human trafficking. But because of the the type of people that they were and the fact that they stopped for the people they saw and showed compassion, changed someone's life. But you can also see things happen on a really big scale if you have that kind of mentality. So some students in Durham, they uh, read about um, homeless women and vulnerable, vulnerable women. They had no sanitary items and they needed to get them. So they said... 
we're going to set up a kind of a donation space for that, and we're going to encourage other students to donate sanitary items, and we're going to share them with local homeless shelters and hostels around Durham. There were a couple of alumni who graduated who worked for Procter & Gamble who heard about this campaign, and students had already given quite a lot, and they had a couple of thousand items already. And then these guys at Procter & Gamble said, we can send you some, and they sent three articulated lorry loads. And so they ended up with three quarters of a million sanitary items, these students in Durham, <laughs> and which they didn't really know what to do with. But they were able to supply kind of uh, hostels and homeless shelters all around the northeast, and then also refugee camps in as far afield as Iraq and Zambia with some of these items. And that was an amazing gift, and um, just amazing to see some of the things that can happen when students kind of take initiative and go, we're going to stand up for something and make a difference. It is really exciting to see all of these things happen on the ground and the time spent in communities and the, the changes that are made through these campaigns and fundraising and different things. But I think one of the things we've become most excited about in Just Love is actually there's all these students who are, who are changing their mindsets while at university and becoming so passionate about this stuff. What are they going to go on and do when they graduate in 5, 10, 20 years' time? And so we set up an alumni network and we did a big launch event um, kind of six or so months ago and we had members of parliament and a high court judge and the former president of TF Fund and lots of people come in and go, yeah, how can we help you as people in your 20s to pursue justice in all these different areas that you're working in? Keep them on that trajectory where they're going to fight for justice as Christians in every sphere of society. Um, and we did some surveying of these, of these recent graduates and these are some of the statistics that David mentioned earlier. And... Um, we talked a little bit about giving to the needy and generosity. And 86% of our students, we asked them, how much has Just Love influenced you to give more generously with your future income? Very significantly, significantly, slightly or not at all. And 86% of them said significantly or very significantly. So we thought, that's really exciting. Um, some of them are talking about, can we go and earn hundreds of thousands of pounds and live off £20,000 a year and give everything away? So they might give masses away. But we thought, well, even if that significantly is just, they'll give away an extra 1% of their income over their lifetime. We're soon hoping to be at the stage where 500 people are graduating from Just Love groups every year. So if we take that group of 500 people and say, they're each going to give away an extra 1% of their income. If they have an average annual income of £25,000 a year over 40 years, that cohort gives away an extra £5 million over their lifetime. We can't guarantee that that will happen, but at the moment it seems like people are really excited about going out and giving generously. And by just investing a really small amount in this generation now, they can go and have a huge multiplier effect when they graduate and go and do different things. And that's just their giving. I think we're probably more excited about the jobs they go and do and the things they go and do with their time. 85% of them said they've been significantly influenced to go and pursue social justice through their careers. Um, and 97% of people who'd been on our committees, so had our kind of leadership training and stuff, said they'd been at least significantly developed as leaders while being involved in Just Love. So we're really excited about all these people graduate excited to lead, excited to go and transform where they work. And our hope for Just Love is that this generation of Christian graduates will go and become the leaders and innovators in the charity sector, that they'll go and bring integrity and change to politics, that they'll bring radical generosity and social responsibility into business, that they'll go and bring truth and hope into media, that they'll lead churches that are known for the compassion with which they serve their communities, that every sphere of society will have people in it who are joining those who are already in there and fighting for justice and standing up for what's right and restoring relationships and pouring compassion out on people. Um, and so David suggested we suggest a few ways that people can get involved. You can pray for Just Love and our work as it 
as it hopefully continues to grow. We hope that within three or four years, we'll have groups in 50 different cities around the country, each with at least 50 students regularly involved. So we'll see thousands of people across the country pursuing this call to justice. Um, Some of you might know students of around university age, um, in which case we'd love it if you pointed them in Just Love's way. We'd love to have them involved. We'd love to do training with them. We'd love to release them into some of our projects. Um, And we'd also love any financial support from anyone who feels able and feels like that's something they want to give to. Um, I've brought some forms with me if people want to come and find me afterwards and we can give them out and flyers with more information about Just Love. Um, The chairman of our trustees, Peter Jeffrey, is also here. Um, Some of you might know him. He's had board roles with YMCA and he worked at PwC and different things. Um, So if you give us a wave, Pete, people can also come and chat to Pete afterwards or chat to me. Um, And we've got more information on how to get involved with Just Love and follow our progress. Um, And, yeah, I just wanted to leave you with that and perhaps also to finish by praying. Um, And we pray that um, regardless of, of whether or not anyone hears about Just Love again or stays involved with that, I pray that we'd all be part of a global church um, that is known for the compassion with which they serve their communities, that, um, that does give to the needy, and that pours itself out on behalf of others, and that we'd be able to show your love to the world. Amen. Tom, thank you very much. You've left your Bible.